listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. We are going to continue walking through the book of Luke. We're going to start in chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. And as, as Nate kind of set up for us, um, I know that we say this a lot and you'll hear this for the rest of your Christian life, this idea that really comes from the fall and our, and our culture around us has really just pushes in on us every moment of every day that, you know, you are to be self-sufficient. You are to look inside yourselves. That's the way you can save yourself. That's where you'll find joy. That's where you'll find everything. And the Bible is like completely antithetical to what that is saying. That is not it. In fact, what the Bible does, they have these people within the Bible, the wonderful that the Lord gave it to us, and they're called Pharisees. And that's exactly what that mindset is. It's self-sufficient that I'm doing these different things, and it all has to do with your relationship with God. And I know many of you have come here today, and you've had a crazy week, and busy doing the outer work of life. Um, you know, like I know every single mom sitting here, they are exhausted from the first contraction till the day they graduate, the kids. And, and I've seen that and understand that. So I know that you're coming in, have been working all week, have been doing different things all week. Um, but what Jesus is trying to do here is not really talking about this outer work. He's really talking about your heart. He's really talking about this relationship you have with God. And, and how, do you, how do you live that relationship out? Is it one of, okay, I need to do X, Y, Z in, in order for God to approve of me? That would be not a good thing. Because we know that the Bible says that everything we do falls short of His glory unless it's, it's done in Christ. In fact, we have the whole Old Testament that kind of shows us that we cannot follow his law, his perfect law, because the only reason why we would really want to please him is we want to be with him one day. But our self-righteousness will never make it there. It has to be a righteousness that comes from someone else. And as we ended last week, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. First, they were yelling at him about um, eating with certain people. Then they were yelling at him for eating at all and talking about fasting. And the root of why they were so upset about their fasting was simply because they would look left to right and, and, and make it sure everybody knows that they're fasting. Hey, we're fasting. We, you know, why aren't you doing this? It's a left to right instead of an up and in idea of self-justification. So again, we left Jesus last week correcting these Pharisees. And, and guys, it, it's, it's something that it's, I wish I could, you know, give you a, a good sermon or, or give you a good thing to read. And all of a sudden the, the light switch is, is flipped and, and you get rid of this, but it's not. It's something that we battle consistently until the day we are glorified. Partly because the flesh is drawn there. Um, and partly because the fallen world that we live in uh, consistently points us in. So oftentimes we're not only just exhausted because we've had a long week of all this external things, but we are simply exhausted in our relationship with God because we're working our way there instead of resting in what he has done. Instead of resting in what he has done. 
So again, they're the Pharisees. This is like a Pharisaical um, attitude towards God and our relationship with God. And here at the end of chapter 5, as, as we looked at last week, he's correcting these fellas, Pharisees. He's telling them that um, you do not fast when the bridegroom is present. In other words, he's saying that this is not the time to fast. He's telling that about his disciples. He's saying, no, the bridegroom is here. It is time to celebrate. Right? And so where are we? We're in between. We, there's times where we celebrate and there's times where we do fast. When we want to draw closer to God and when we want to fight sin. But we're all looking for the day, one day, when there will be no more fasting because we will be with the bridegroom in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and that hope and that joy should fuel us day in and day out. And Jesus is trying to tell these Pharisees, look, I'm bringing something new. There's something new here. You've been working the law for I don't know how many years, and, and now the Pharisees have added to that law because they, they really want to make sure that they're self-righteous. They want to add to that law. But he says, no, I'm bringing something new. He gave them those two parables. The parable of uh, you know, putting a new piece of cloth on old clothes and putting new wine in an old wineskin and saying, that's not working. You cannot just take what I'm saying, who I am, Jesus Christ, and add it to your religion. You just can't add it to the old way of doing things. All through the Bible, it tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of those old ways. He is the fulfillment of the law. He's not an add-on to the religion of the day. He is Lord. He is Savior. And we must treat Him that way. He is not a new patch that we add on to the old religious regulations. He has come to bring something new. He has come to bring new wine. He warns not to develop rules for self-righteousness. In other words, earning your way to God. Trying to figure out your relationship with God through what you do. And how often you do it, or how well you do it. He's like, no, you are to rest in my work. You are to rest in my work. See, because our righteousness cannot be trusted. We must abandon our righteousness so that we can accept the righteousness of another. Of our Savior. Of Jesus. The perfect righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The new thing that Jesus provides is grace. He gives us grace because he knows that we're going to stumble and he knows we're not going to do it perfectly. He has many commands for us to do and the commands are not to earn our way for anything. The commands are there so that we have a more um, fulfilling life, that we have a more joyful life. He's designed things a certain way and asked us to do things a certain way. He's like, I have more for you. Step into what I have. Obey my commands, not to earn anything, but because of what I've done, because I love you. See, grace is not opposed to effort, right? Paul tells us all the time, work out your salvation, strive to be more holy. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, earning your way to God, earning these, the blessings of God. No, they are poured out in Christ Jesus. This is whether or not we walk in them or not. The Pharisees gave nobody grace. They not only kept the letter of the law, but they, they added to it, which is exactly what we're seeing here when they're talking about the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and, and what can happen on it. We see here in verses 1 and 2 of Luke 6, on a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields, 
His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So the question we got to ask, is the Pharisees truly sticking to the law? Or when they ask this question, are they saying, okay, we have made some more rules and we have made some more laws. They didn't come down from God and, and written down for us, but we've added them to it. And that's exactly what they're talking about. We've added some more laws. So, and, and we can understand maybe a little bit why they're so um, apt to try to figure out, okay, when, when, when we say that we're in the Sabbath and we're not allowed to work, that was the old, um, what the law was given to the, um, Israel, they're, they're, they know that if they didn't keep the Sabbath, the, the penalty was death. So they were trying to figure out, hey, um, exactly how do we do this? Because I don't want to die. I mean, that's, that makes sense a little bit, right? But, but see, the Sabbath day for the children of Israel, the Sabbath was the best day of the week. It was a day for worship and for resting in the goodness of God. It was a day for ceasing from the labor and toil of the workday week. You see, like, that, that's the design of it. But the Pharisees have added all these rules to, like, now you're, like, super anxious. And you're worried, oh, okay, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this right? You know, did I light a fire? Did I not? Can I help? All these different rules that they made. Cutting through is what his disciples did. Cutting through someone's field and picking a little grain was not against the law. In fact, it was one of the ways God provided for his people. In Deuteronomy 23:25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, okay, they're saying he gave us some, some uh, instruction that, that harvesting is actually taking the sickle and doing the work. But all his disciples were doing was grabbing some grain off the stock and, and separating the chaff and eating it. As they go. So in other words, the law really stated, as long as these disciples did not try to do a full-scale harvest, it was acceptable for the disciples to help themselves, right? To help themselves. This was part of the legal code. See, the Pharisees did not see the situation that way, however. As the self-appointed Sabbath police, they thought they spotted a violation here. Oh, wait a minute here. They did something wrong, and we're going to call you on it. Notice that there's no love in that. Like, like when you read and you kind of study and you think about the Pharisees and, and the way they made all these extra rules, and, and the reason why they made those extra rules was because they were trying to absolutely understand what God was trying to say in the law so that they don't break the law. Therefore, they can honor the Sabbath and not die. But, but you notice whenever they go after Jesus and whenever they're going after the disciples here, there's no love there. Like, it's changed. It's like, no, you broke the rule. There's no love there. And, and that's, that's a self-righteous heart because they're so in tune with what they do in order to to be right before God that there's no grace to give to anybody else they're so tuned in to all of their rules and regulations and everything that they follow that there's no grace given to anyone else and that's exactly I think why Luke put this in here to show us the, the actual reason for the law and, and how much love there is in the law. See, the, the Pharisees strive to prove themselves, 
to themselves and others by keeping all these regulations. To make sure that they did not violate the fourth commandment. They specified all the different ways that someone could break the Sabbath. And then avoiding these activities became their law. They added to it. According to the Mishnah, no fewer than 39 different kinds of work were forbidden on the Sabbath, including reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. All these things they've added to what God's law said. So they're saying that the disciples broke the law. So when the disciples picked some heads of grain, the Pharisees thought they were reaping. When they rubbed them in their hands to separate the wheat from the shaft, they considered the threshing and winnowing. And when they started to eat the grain, they were guilty of preparing food on the Sabbath. So with every mouthful, the disciples were violating the law four different ways. Thus said, not God, thus said the Pharisees. It's, It's a righteousness through works. And again, they are looking to the left and to the right. They're not looking up and inward. The problem was that this was their law, not God's law. It was their way to strive to be justified. I mean, there are so many ways that today in 2023, we strive to be justified in the same way. We've taken what God has given us and we've added to it. And sometimes we even just subtract it and don't do it at all, but... There are so many ways that we have added to it that we have this inner turmoil all the time. But Jesus says, I come to bring rest. I come to bring rest. Again, the Sabbath was a day of rest, a day to refrain from work, a day of worshiping the Lord. So how does Jesus answer their question? Because remember, they're, they're posing this question. You guys broke the law. And he, he said, didn't you, didn't you break the law? And Jesus answers their question and sets them straight in verses 3 and 4. And Jesus answered them, have you not read that David did what when he was hungry? He and those were with him. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. So now... You see where Jesus goes straight to, not the letter of the law, right? But the intent of the law and the love within the law. So he's going all the way back to David. Notice he's, they're pointing their finger at Jesus' disciples saying they broke the law because they took some grain and rubbed it and they were eating it. And Jesus is like, you missed it. Not only did you miss the original intent of the law, but you've added a bunch more to it to even make it even harder. Why did Jesus bring this up? Why did he go there? He wanted to free the law from the perversion of the Pharisees by explaining its underlying purpose. Here he was referring to a story from the life of David. In those days, God had rejected Saul and anointed David to serve as Israel's rightful king. But Saul was not dead yet. And because of his raging envy of David, he was chasing him around trying to kill him, right? Because he was Israel's rightful king. This is where the story picks up in 1 Samuel 21, with David and his men fleeing from the wrath of Saul. They left in such haste that they did not have time to gather much in the way of provisions. So they went to the tabernacle where Ahimelech was priest. And David said to him, so he's fleeing from Saul. He has some, some of his disciples with him. And they run into the, the temple because they didn't have time to grab provision. And he 
And in 1 Samuel 21.3, it says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. This is David asking the high priest. But Ahimelech said to David in 1 Samuel 21.4, The priest was referring to the bread of the presence, which was kept in the tabernacle. The sacred bread of the covenant was baked fresh every week, and is set out before the Lord on a golden tab table. It was only for the priest to eat and no one else. So this, this bread was set apart. It was set apart for use for the, for the time in the temple. Because the bread of the presence was consecrated to God, his holy priests were the only people who were allowed to eat it. They were the only ones that were allowed to eat it. But notice, this is happening on the Sabbath. And there is provision there for someone to eat, obviously, in, in reference to his provision for um, the forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament. But someone was allowed to eat. But David and his men were famished. Technically, for them to eat the sacred bread was a violation of the uh, ceremonial law that governed the worship of the tabernacle. But as Ahimelech considered the total righteousness of God, he recognized that he had a higher duty to beat a basic human need. You see, even Jesus is trying to point them to the, the love, point them to the, the mercy and the grace instead of the letter of the law. In 1 Samuel 21, 6, So the priest, Ahimelech, gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be placed by hot bread on the day it is taken away. By telling this story, Jesus was arguing from a harder case to an easier one. Follow his logic here. If it was proper for David's men to eat the bread of the presence as holy as it was, it was also the more appropriate for his disciples to pick a little grain on the Sabbath. In the words of Joseph Pippa, he says this, If it was proper to violate a ceremonial law when the Lord's anointed was on the Lord's business on the Sabbath, then surely the anointed and his followers may break a man-made law while they're doing the Lord's business on the Sabbath. You see how Jesus is trying to adjust these Pharisees? He's trying to adjust their, the way they've made the law out to be and, and what it's truly made for. When David did violated the ceremonial law, but it was still the right thing to do because it was necessary to help people in need. It was to help people in need. God always desires mercy more than the observance of sacred rituals. And yes, we have sacred rituals that are all spelled out here, but we have our own little sacred rituals that we do to earn our way to God. This is what Sam read for us in Matthew 12, 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Same incident in Matthew and also in Mark. Matthew and Mark kind of expanded out a little bit more, where Luke is very concise with what is happening here. But see, the problem with the Pharisees was not simply that they were too strict. Their problem was that they did not understand the true inward purpose of the law, which demands love for God and love for our neighbor. See, whenever we're so content or we're so driven to earn our way to God or to be self-righteous or set up our own laws or rules, 
that what we fail to do then is to look to the left to right and love on people. Right? Because we're all we're doing is thinking of ourselves. We're not thinking of others. And this is the point I think Jesus is trying to make to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, you know, think about when they were, the incident when they were praying. And they're pounding their chest and they're saying, I am so glad I'm not like that person. I mean, that is the heart of this. And if we're striving and if we're working our way to God and, and this is how we see our relationship to God, then this is many ways how we will treat other people. We treat other people by using them to get what we need. Right? If we need praise, then we get ourselves in a position where, where we, we're over some people and then we use those people in order to get praise. Because we think that the praise is what we need to justify ourselves before God. And, and all of us, in some way, some twisted way, because that's what sin does, are doing that. This is what Jesus is trying to show us. Luke drives this point home with the events that happen on yet another Sabbath. And this is verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So now, this, the Pharisees are there, to, they're kind of stalking him, Right? And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. See, there, there was provision that if someone was dying on the Sabbath, you can help that person. But everything else you couldn't do on the Sabbath because they would declare that as work and therefore you'd be breaking the Sabbath and the penalty is death. You see how this problem, this, this, this pattern works out? In so many ways, we are so um, reliant on our ways of earning things that if someone crosses that, right, we rise up in anger and the penalty is death to that person. Jesus is trying to show us, no, that's not it. He, it says in verse 8, he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. So again, he's trying to fix the Pharisees' thinking. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or destroy it? He's going after all of their extra things. And he's going after what the law truly was meaning. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. And verse 11 says, they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. See, they were so upset that Jesus is coming along and seemingly to them breaking all of their rules, not breaking God's rules, breaking their rules. And that's why he's angry. Now it's time we got to get rid of this guy. He's ruining our religion. Because, see, their religion simply said, if you follow the rules, then you can be with God. And Jesus is like, you can't follow the rules. That's why I'm here. That's why we celebrate Christmas. You can't follow the rules. You can't follow the rules. What made them so angry? It was partly because Jesus broke one of their precious rules, but it was more because he exposed their lack of love for people in need. He was showing them for the lack of love they had. 
we know that love, love is primary with God. Love for him and love for others. They were using the very law of God as an excuse for not showing mercy, for not showing love. Right? Come on, guys. You, you have walked this walk. Every one of us has probably gotten off the freeway in Cumberland and gone down to the bottom of the thing and there's someone standing there with a little sign that says, need food. And every single one of us turn into a Pharisee and have 52,000 laws and reasons why we won't help that person. This is what Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees. This is what he's trying to reveal in our hearts. Is how many different ways... Do we explain away and say that we we won't do what God has called us to do? We won't love as God has called us to love. We won't show mercy as God has showed us, called us to show mercy. This is exactly what he's talking about here. But what they do not yet see as they look to trap Jesus in that is Jesus is greater than the law. He supersedes the law. In fact, he fulfills the law. He is greater than the law. He's not meant to submit to their law. He is Lord over the true law of God. This is the point of the whole passage. This is the whole point of all these verses in 1 through 11 and even a little bit of towards the end of 5 there is he's making this point. And he makes this point in in verse 5 of chapter 6. And he said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord over the Sabbath. Here Luke has done it again. He has told a story from the life of Jesus that builds us up to a climatic statement about his person and work. Who he is. I'm the son of man. That's who he is. And we should be grateful that he's the son of man because he's the first of the new creation which all of us are part of. And because we are in the new creation, that means that we get his righteousness. This is Romans 5. That's what Romans 5 is is all about. Go and read that. It's, It's a really cool chapter in the Bible. It's really encouraging. Because he is the son of man. He is the firstborn of this new creation. He's doing a new thing. And he's also Lord of the Sabbath. Luke shows us the life of Jesus that builds us up to this climatic point that he is the person of, he is God and his work. Again, this is keeping with Luke's grand purpose of the, of the whole, his whole writings and helping us to know for certain that Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He is the son of God. To that end, he has told us that Jesus is the, the son of the most high, a savior who is Christ the Lord, the beloved and well-pleasing Son of the Father. He's already told us that in in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Luke has also shown the authority of Jesus to preach the gospel, heal the body, cast out demons, forgive sinners, and call disciples. Here at the beginning of chapter 6, he announces a new title with new authority. Jesus is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, he is Lord of the Sabbath. And once again, Jesus declares that he is God. That's who he is. He is God. This is why the Pharisees were filled with fury and started to discuss plans to how to get rid of him. This madman who thinks that he is God. That's because he is God. 
So what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath? First and foremost, in the context of our passage, he gets to decide how the law for the Jews gets interpreted. After all, he made the law. (laughs) He is God. The Pharisees made all the extra rules so that they can define work. Jesus says, meeting the needs of people, loving people, is not work. It should be joy. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? It releases us from the striving to prove yourself to yourself and others and ultimately proving yourself to God. It releases us from that. You don't have to prove yourself. This is a life of a Pharisee. They live their lives trying to prove themselves trying to prove themselves worthy, trying to prove themselves that they are better than that person, therefore they're worthy to be with God. So not only do we prove ourselves to others, but we try to prove ourselves to ourselves. And there's this inner turmoil, and there's never any peace. This is the lie of the Pharisee. If we go back to chapter 5 and their complaint about fasting, the Pharisees were striving to use their religious example as a requirement for everyone else to obey. We fast. Why don't you disciples fast? They're so reliant on their striving that they are convinced their rules are more important than Jesus. Jesus said, you missed the purpose of the law. The law was to help protect you. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was there so that your work did not become an idol. Not this outer work, but this inner work, this striving to prove yourself. Yes, for Israel, it was a day to stop the outside physical work. They did and rest and honor their God by worshiping him. We too need to rest from external work and physical exertion. But there is a deeper problem that Jesus fixes by being Lord of the Sabbath. And that is this inner sense that I mentioned before. That you need to prove yourself to yourself, to others, and to God. It's almost like we never get what our doctors would call REM sleep, right? This rapid eye movement sleep. This deep sleep that actually repairs the mind and repairs the body. Are you in need of that kind of rest today? You know, many of us, we suffer from the Rocky Syndrome, right? How many of you seen the, the first Rocky movie, right? The only actually real good Rocky movie was the first Rocky movie, but you know, his, his, his brother-in-law, Polly, who's the bum, right? And, and Polly would always ask him, Rocky, Rocky, uh, why do you always do this? Why do you do all this? Why do you kill yourself and beat up meat and and do all these things? Why do you train the way you do, Rocky? And Rocky said, I want to go the distance. Then I know I'm not a bum. Then I know I'm not a bum. How many of you sitting here today get up every single day trying to show somebody else or yourself 
that you're not a bum. How sad it is to hear the stories of moms who kill ourselves lovingly for their children. And I absolutely are crushed because if they get two minutes of time and they jump on and answer an email and maybe catch up with somebody on Facebook and they see all these posts and pictures of all these moms that are supposed to have it all together and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and they just feel crushed because when they look around at their house, it's not quite like all the pictures that the world is trying to tell them that they need to be. That's sad because that's not real either. There's no rest in that. There's no rest in that. What do we do each and every day? And we get up and we say, I'm not a bum. See, we know what the Pharisees did. They might have made up all these rules. They made up all these regulations. And they would constantly make sure everybody was doing it. But what do we do every day to make sure that we're not a bum? This is what we struggle with day in and day out. We're striving to prove ourselves to ourselves and to others and to God. Where does the rest come from? Where does the rest from this inner striving that never seems to end? Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one the Sabbath regulations all pointed to. I can give you the deep rest of the soul that you will most need. I am the Lord of rest. Jesus says, I am the Lord of rest. You know what this means? If you, if you want to rest, you have to go to him. You have to go to him. And if you think you've gone to him, but you don't have any rest, you still don't know what you have yet. You still don't know the rest that you can actually live in and walk in every single day of your life. You still haven't taken hold of what you have in Christ. You still truly haven't understood what you have. Because Jesus said, brothers and sisters, I have taken the penalty for not keeping the Sabbath. I went to the cross and I died to fulfill that law. And I did it for you. For the joy that was set before me, and that was each of you. I have taken the penalty. I have taken it. I have taken the penalty that your inner striving will always fail to complete. I took the penalty of death on the cross so that you, brothers and sisters, can have rest. Where will you find this rest? In his presence. In his presence. By spending time with him. By being with him. As we close, we'll close with the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's not the yoke of the Pharisees. It's the, not even the yoke, of the yoke of the law. It's faith in me. That's the yoke. It's faith in what I have accomplished. 
That's the yoke. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I pray today that you will enter his rest. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we can rest in him. Will we do that today? Will we step into that today? Do we truly understand what has been given to us and the rest that we have? Will we step into that through faith? Through trusting him? Through thanking him for all that he has done? for trusting what he has done and helping us to to stop this inner striving that we have that says, I'm not a bum today and I'm going to prove it by how hard I work. We don't have to. We are a child of God. It's been done for us. We are just to rely and trust in him. Help us to do so today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.